We'll have our Go Ye Kids dismissed. And the rest of us, let's turn to John chapter 4 once again. John chapter 4. And so far we have looked at the approach, how Jesus dealt with the woman at the well, versus how Jesus dealt with the Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees on a whole. And uh, last week, if you're going to testify, if you're going to tell someone uh, about Jesus, you, you need to know what God has done in your life. And uh, tonight we're going to try to look at the, the question, and if you're going to deal with someone about eternal things, this question has to be answered. Who is God? Uh, a lot of people just don't know. And in the days and times in which we live, uh, I, I don't know that I've ever seen or known of a time in history where you can get more information about God. I mean, you can go on to the Internet and you can go to uh, various churches and you can uh, go into... I mean, there are entire libraries uh, that do nothing but have talk about God and theology and all of this stuff. And, and yet, I don't know if there's ever been a time when less people know who God really is. If you're going to talk to someone, and that's where Jesus started, let's... Um, just look right here in, in uh, verse uh, 9, Jesus, or verse uh, 7, actually, Jesus asked for a drink, and the woman is surprised that he would ask her for a drink. In verse 10, Jesus gets right into it. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. I want you to turn with me for a moment to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And I want you to look at verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, that's what the Bible says. It says, if you're going to please God, if you're going to have faith, you must, uh, without faith it's impossible to please God, you must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And Jesus reversed the order here, basically. He said, if you knew what the gift of God was, if you knew who it was that you were talking to, if you knew that God is good and that I am God, you would be asking of me. And you say, well, how, how do you get Jesus was claiming to be God here? Well, let's go back here and, and look what Jesus actually says to her. He said, if you had known the gift of God, if thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, 
Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Immediately, she gets the point. You know, sometimes we think that people that we are witnessing to don't get it don't understand. They get a lot more than you think they do most of the time. And she immediately realized that Jesus was claiming to be something greater than Jacob. I mean, Jacob had, uh, the tradition was, he was the one that had dug the well and provided for that well. And and that well, all these Thousands of years later, well, not thousands, but uh, uh, probably by this time we're, we're looking at probably almost 1,200 years from the days that Jacob walked the earth to this woman. She said, hey, we still get water here. His family got life from the water in the well, and they survived, and we still get water But you're talking about living water. You're talking about something different here. Are are you greater than Jacob? Now, we need to understand something. The Samaritan woman here had a knowledge of God. It was imperfect. It was missing things. It it, It was wrong. But at least she knew about God and she actually claimed to worship God. It's interesting that... She claims Jacob as her father, as the uh, uh, head of her her uh, family there, but she doesn't use his name of blessing, which is Israel. Uh, why wouldn't she use that? Well, there was another group of people just south in Jerusalem that that used the name Israel, but she was claiming here. Wait a minute, I'm Jewish. I, I'm a descendant of Abraham. I'm not an Ishmaelite. I'm a descendant through uh, the line of promise. Jacob is my father. And you know, most of the people you're going to meet. I'm a Christian. I I don't go to the mosque. Uh, You know, it used to be that was, uh, and I've said it many times, outside the United States, the word Christian means not Buddhist. Not Muslim, uh, but you know what? It's becoming that way in the United States now, is, is that definition. Because the name Christian really is supposed to mean Christ-like. Now, most people who use the name Christian are not Christ-like. And um, so, she had an understanding of God, but it was it was wrong. It was corrupt. It was missing huge parts. She actually claimed to worship God. But you'll notice something about her religion, and it's true of all false religion. It was missing that personal connection. You know, most people are part of a religion because that is what their society is about. But very few people have a personal religion. How many of you remember before you were saved, you had a religion? 
It was the religion of your family. It was the religion of your community, maybe, uh, or, or your people group. But, I mean, it was just something that you were a part of until you met Christ. And all of a sudden, it became personal. She, she had a religion, but it wasn't personal. Jesus was trying to make this thing personal to her. He said, if you only understood who I am, if you knew what the gift of God was, and she said, and verse 13, Jesus said, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whoso drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Um, Stephen, can you turn this fan? Just turn it off. It's Thank you. And... Um, she, she said, he, I mean, um, let me get back on track here. Jesus said, I'm going to give you water. It's going to be on the inside. It's going to be a well of water springing up. It's going to give you everlasting life. Then the woman says, hey, I, I want that water that I don't have to come here and draw. And Jesus immediately, and Lord willing, next Sunday night we'll, we'll deal with this. He begins to deal with the sin issue. You see, if you really know who God is, then you have the grounds to deal with the sin issue. Until you know who God is, uh, before you know who God is, I should say, there's, there's no foundation to deal with sin. Uh, I read a very troubling article this afternoon. Uh, it was a college in Massachusetts, supposed to be an evangelical college. <coughs> and the meaning that the, their, their, official denomin, their official affiliation is non-denominational. Uh, it was actually started as a Baptist college uh, in the 1880s in a Baptist church to train missionaries. And the president of the college, of Gordon College, recently signed a letter uh, uh, asking the president to keep the um, exemption for private institutions receiving government funds uh, to still be allowed to hold to their religious conviction concerning homosexuality. And uh, this was supposed to be a Bible college. And it was interesting reading down through the article. I didn't even know Gordon College was a Christian college. Uh, and uh, all of these things, and now they have a group of students and faculty who are promoting the homosexual lifestyle on this campus. And, uh, uh, and the writer of the article was kind of snarky, saying that the, the president of the college thought he was safe in defaming homosexuals, but even on evangelical campuses, and going on and on as it did. You see... If you don't understand who God is, you have no ground upon which to stand. You have no way to determine what is sin and what isn't. And, and, and you say, how can it get to this point? It, let me tell you, it is at this point. People don't understand what sin is. 
there is no conviction of sin in their lives until they know who God is. Now, this woman had an imperfect understanding of God, but her understanding was close enough that when Jesus said, go get your husband, she knew she was in trouble. And here we go. Said, so now I'm in trouble. Well, I'm just going to be honest. I'm not going to lie. I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, yes, that's exactly correct. You've had five. And you got rid of all of them. And now you got somebody else and you're not even married to them. That paints a pretty dark picture, does it not? And the woman goes to where everybody goes. She says, Okay, we're going to talk about religion now. You must be a prophet. And, but our religion, and see, her religion had no problem with her lifestyle. I mean, she wasn't a prominent member. They weren't lifting her up as someone great. Uh, but she could still participate in her religion and participate in her lifestyle as well. Uh, does that sound familiar to you? Uh, a guy named Rick Warren wrote The Purpose Driven Life and The Purpose Driven Church. And that's basically what it has become is a religion where you can have everything you want in the world in Jesus too. Now, I want to challenge you that it's not the way the Bible works. And yet... That's the way people want their religion to work because, honestly, what? Have you ever met somebody that wasn't doing the best they can? Have you ever met somebody when you talked about religion and said, well, I'm just a worthless slob. I don't care about God. I don't care about anything. I'm just... You're going to meet very few people like that. Most people are trying to do something to please God or to be a part of some kind of religion, are they not? Even in this day and time. But it's really easy because we have a religion out today that allows you to do anything you want and still worship God. And Jesus addresses that fact. And until you know who God is, you can't do anything. He says, listen... Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither worship in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. She said, wait a minute. Jesus is saying, wait a minute. The hour is coming. The time is where the place where you worship is not going to be important. But Jesus was not mincing words when he said, ye worship, ye know not what. Now, how many of you, before you got saved, that described your religion? You worship, you know not what. You went to church, you did what they told you to. You had no idea what the guy was saying, but at least he was saying something and you felt a little better when you left, right? In fact, in the Catholic and the Orthodox Church, uh, they call it a, a sacrament. And the reason why they use that word is because it's a mystery. And uh, it truly would be a mystery if what they said was true. But the biggest mystery is that everyone is perfectly happy with leaving their salvation and all the work that the priest does as a mystery. You know, they want to know about everything else. 
They want to know every detail about so-and-so's wedding in such-and-such a town with a person they've been living with for the past ten years. I mean, it's called People Magazine, and if you read that, uh, uh, there's an altar here where you can get right at the end of the service. Amen? Uh, all the, People want to know everything, except when it comes to God. Well, it's a mystery. Okay, fine. I just don't get it. But that's the way we are. we got to understand something. Let's get back to the point. Who is God? And the woman says, Jesus says plainly, you have no idea what's going on. Your faith has no reality. Uh, the way I like to put it is your faith has no real target. You see, the faith of a Bible-believing Christian, the faith that is in this book called the Bible, salvation is not the bullseye. Service to God is the bullseye. Amen? A life that will bring glory to God. That's what we're talking about. But all of religion, the, the bullseye on their target is salvation. Maybe someday I'll be good enough. I mean, if I got a little bit of luck and, and, and do everything right, maybe, maybe I'll just hit that target and get saved. And of course, man's invented all kinds of ways, purgatory and other things, uh, that if you miss the first time, you, you should be able to catch it the second or third. And uh, so Jesus is making a statement. He says, listen, you don't even know what you worship. Uh, I've used this illustration many times. If you ever meet someone, well, I'm keeping the Ten Commandments. Ask them what they are. Could you tell me the Ten Commandments? I'll guarantee this. They don't know the Ten Commandments. Have no idea what they are. You see... Jesus was right. And, and you will be right when you're dealing with people. You worship, you know not what. But until they're willing to admit that, are you going to get anywhere? Mm-mm. So you gotta, you got to start somewhere. And, and Jesus said, listen, salvation is of the Jews. But they that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. When is the last time, I shouldn't say it that way, remember back before you were saved, did you worship in spirit and in truth? Or was it just the best you could do in hopes that everything would turn out all right? Okay, when you hit the altar this morning, was it in spirit and in truth? You see, that goes back to the second part. What did Jesus do for me? You see, what I have is real. Jesus said, what I have is real. What you have is not. Let's, let's look at the two. And this brought up the point that Jesus was actually waiting for was she, she knew enough about God. She knew enough about the Bible. She said, The Bible says that Messiah is coming, the Christ. He's coming. And when he comes, he'll tell us, I know that part. And Jesus says, I'm he. You know what? It was over then. We don't hear any more from the woman talking to Jesus. You know why? Because she believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
See, that's how simple salvation is. But it took a little bit of work to get her there now, didn't it? You see, the question is, who is God? She knew a little bit about God. She knew enough to know that Messiah was coming. She knew enough to know uh, that uh, there were arguments between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. And Jesus brushed aside all of those uh, sectarian arguments. He said, if you're going to worship God, you've got to worship him in spirit and in truth. You know what? She didn't have anything left to argue with there because she knew what she was doing wasn't in spirit and it wasn't in truth. It was just something that she did. And when Jesus explained to her that he was the Messiah, she believed and she got saved. But in order to understand who God is, you've got to have a connection to this book called the Bible. You can't understand who God is without opening this book. Whether it's printed in a gospel track or whether it's the Bible itself, whether it's someone that shows you, whether you listen on the radio, someone has to open this book and you have to understand who God is. Now, I want us to turn to Acts chapter 17 and spend just a few moments here because... Sometimes we'll meet people and they know really absolutely nothing about the God of the Bible. What, what do we do then? Well, there's an example in Scripture. In uh, Acts chapter 17 and verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hills, this was in the city of Athens, And said, you men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Now, when you meet someone who knows nothing of the true God of the Bible... You got to start somewhere. And Paul was looking and he was watching and Mars Hill was the center of worship in in the city of Athens. And if you're familiar with, uh, we call it today, Greek mythology. Uh, If you said that then, those men on Mars Hill would have dragged you out the city and beat you half to death unless they were upset at you and then they'd have done the job all the way. Uh, it was not a pleasant thing. I mean, I'm, people literally died. You would be considered blaspheming the gods by calling them myths. They actually believed in these things and worshipped them and offered uh, the sword sacrifices and things that uh, participated in rituals that would make... The most avid nightclubber in New York City blushed with shame. And this was the Greek religion. And Paul was escorted up there. And as he's looking around, he sees an altar there. And I am sure there was incense or something burning on it. And it said to the unknown God. And so Paul said, that's as good a place as any. I'll start where they left off. And he says, see that, you know that altar there to the unknown God? says, you don't know who he is, but I do. 
He says, you ignorantly worship him. I'm going to tell you how to worship him the right way. I'm going to tell you who he is and where does Paul start. And this is where we need to start with people. Verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord, he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made by hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath, giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. And you know what? Paul just solved centuries of arguments. Did you get what he said? He said he is the creator. And hath made of one blood all nations of men. Do you know that leading up to the Civil War, there were doctors and anthropologists and things who were trying to say that black people and white people were different uh, species of hum- human beings? That they weren't, I mean, there, there were things like that going on. It says, have made of one blood. You know the thing I am so glad? Is we can reach out to anyone. We can go to the land of Israel. Jews, Palestinians, they're all of one blood. The great prejudice of this world. And let me tell you something, the world is... Just as full of prejudice today as it has ever been. In fact, even a little more so because we have more ways to fight and be cruel to one another than we ever have. Whether it be an internet blog or, or a homemade pipe bomb or whatever, they're just uh, doing these things. Uh, I uh, just read an article trying to keep up on the news. These ISIS fighters go into a little town and line up. Uh, in, uh, line up women and children and men and just shoot them. Why? Because they believe that their God told them that they need to be in charge of these people. And they're standing in their way. And so they're just going to kill them. Well, the God of peace, by the way, his name's Allah. Uh, if that's your definition of peace, I, I don't like it. Murder is not on God's Menu for peace. And that's what these people do. You see, we need to understand something. God is the creator of all things. And that there are no such thing as one level of human being versus another level of human being. Could you imagine how radical that sounded to the men of Athens? Most of which owned slaves. Some were Jewish, many Jewish slaves in, in, in Greece in those days. Uh, many people of different nationalities were held as, as slaves. Many Greek people were slaves to the Romans and to the others that were there. It was a, 
It was a whole subculture. And he says, listen, we are all made of one blood. We're all the human race. Now, if that didn't offend their dignities, he said that God has appointed the times and the bounds of their habitation. He said God is even in charge of where these people groups live and who is in charge of the world at this time. I mean, there wasn't a Greek that he was talking to in the city of Athens that didn't know that just a few hundred years before the Roman Empire came into being and the Roman Republic, that it was the Greeks that ruled the whole known world at that time. And before the Greeks, it was the Persians. And before the Persians, it was the Babylonians. And now we're all the way back to the Old Testament time. They knew the history. And Paul was saying, listen, God's in charge of history. The God of the Bible... The God that I am preaching to you, the unknown God, the God that you don't know, He's the creator of all things. He's only made one kind of people. And you know what? He is in charge of what's going on in the world today. That's who God is. Um, By the way, if there is a creator, and this is the only reason that evolution is taught in schools today. If there is a creator, then as a created being, I have a responsibility to the creator. That's that's why evolution works. It doesn't work scientifically. It doesn't work statistically. It's an impossibility mathematically. It, It doesn't work biologically. Evolution is a fraud from beginning to end. Evolution cannot be proved in any sense of the word. And yet we had these debates by Mr. Ham and what's the other guy? Mr. Science. I don't even know his name. Huh? Bill Nye, that's right, the science guy. He has to rhyme. But anyway, and one that Ham was the guy that argued with him, and he didn't bring up one substantive argument in the whole debate. The issue is who is God? If you believe in God, if you're willing to accept that there is a God, is it a big deal that that God could be the Creator? And if He is the Creator, then do we not, as a created being, have a responsibility? Look at verse 27. Paul doesn't even finish the sentence here. It says, appointed, um, before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone graven by by art and man's device, For the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Paul says, listen, 
You have a responsibility as a created being to try to figure out who the creator is. That's the second step. Third step. Now I'm going to tell you what he demands. Repentance. And Paul goes through and he says in verse 31, Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that he hath raised him from the dead. So Paul preached Jesus. He said, there's one act that happened as God sent this man to earth that proves that he is the one who's going to be the judge of everyone. It is the resurrection. Now what happened? We have a response. Some mocked. They laughed. Some said, "Uh, uh, we need to think about this a while. We will hear you yet again. And what did Paul do? He said, well, I'm going to go find somebody else to tell. And he departed. He left their little examination room and went right back to where he was and began telling people about the gospel. But I like that last verse. Look at it. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believe among the which was Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. You see, when you share the gospel, some will mock. Others will say, we need to think about that a while. But we'll, we'll talk again. Don't slam doors that the Lord leaves open. Amen. But there's going to be some that get saved. But what was Paul doing? He said, I'm going to go find somebody else. The the question that has to be answered. And if a person won't answer the question, you can't talk to him. Who is God? The woman at the well, she had a kind of an idea who he was. She knew that Messiah was coming. When Jesus said, listen, that's me. She believed and got saved that quick. You know what? There'll be people, well, we heard about Jesus. I remember seeing pictures of him on the cross. I've, I've heard about Jesus all my life. Well, you need to believe not in a crucified Jesus. You need to stop putting your faith in the church. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and as God the Son. And we have people in this room that said, that's how I got saved. There'll be other people who don't know anything. Well, let's start where Paul did. You know, if a person wants to argue about the Creator, they're going to argue about a lot of other things. You can't prove to someone that there is a God. Now, I don't mind if someone wants to actually uh, say, well, listen, I'd just like to check this out. I have no problems with someone who has honest questions. But you know what I found? Most people are not honest in their seeking of God. They, they think that somehow they're going to pull a Bill Nye or whatever and you're going to finally go, yeah, yeah, I guess there's room for both ideas and go on. Well, no, there's not room for both ideas because when God is in the room, there's not room for anything else. Amen? Uh, 
Either He is the Creator or He's not God. And He has made us all of one blood. I love that. How Paul put it so succinctly back there in verse 26, and hath made of all, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. You know what? The message is the same for everyone. Some of you might remember karma. He, that's what he called himself. He was a Buddhist monk. Spent about six months in around the story. I think uh, Zach and uh, Slava met him at a bagel stand. And he said, they started trying to witness to him. He said, ah, I'm looking for someone to teach me the Bible. And they said, go see our pastor and gave him a track. And so karma came. He, I think he attended one or two services. And, and, uh, but once he sat under the preaching for a whole service, he was, he, he wasn't going to do that again unless he had to. Uh, but for a period of about six months, we would meet every so often, every other week or something like that. It wasn't real super regular. And, uh, we'd just talk about the Bible. You know, when it was all done, I said, do you understand what it means to be saved? And he explained the gospel message to me almost as clearly as I explained it to him. He got it. I said, but why won't you get saved? He says, because I'm not going to turn loose of my religion. I said, I understand that. I said, but do you understand what you are doing? I said, there is only one God. He is the Creator. There is no 10,000 lives. There is no time-space continuum that allows you to just go on and on forever. I said, this is the book. And he says, I, I don't believe the Bible, but it helps me understand more about my religion. Well, you can't do anything about that. Because he is refusing to admit that there is a real, personal God who created us and wants to be involved in our lives in a daily basis. That's the God of the Bible. You know what that's called? Love. The God of the Bible is the God of love. Who else would put up with you? Amen. And when we understand who God is, he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. He is good. He has the living water. No one else does. That water is going to be on the inside. It's going to spring up into a well life. Everlasting life. Now, how many here understand that Jesus is talking about spiritual things and not physical things. Was that very hard to get? Uh, that, that's just natural. And the woman understood, and she believed, and she got saved. Even on Mars Hill, there were some. If I'm not mistaken, the term Areopagite is actually a servant of the temple's on the Acropolis there. 
He was as, part, as much a part of the religion of the Greeks as you could possibly be without being the priest himself. And he turned it all aside. Grabbed the hold of Paul and said, I'm going with you. You know what? God can save anybody. But they have to believe in the God of the Bible. They have to know who he is. We've got to sometimes explain the difference. There have been sometimes I've gotten people really upset in trying to explain the difference between the gods of the Catholic Church and the God of the Bible. They are different. I said, you need to understand something. I said, the Jesus of the Catholic Church. I said, let me, let me give you a few sentences and see if you agree with them. I said, the Jesus of the Catholic Church is very austere. He really doesn't care for you. And if it weren't for the pleading of his mother to be kind to you, he wouldn't pay any attention to you at all. Oh, yeah. That's what they've been told. I said, that can't possibly be the same Jesus that's in the Bible. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus went to the cross because he loved us. No one has to plead for his love or his mercy because he is love. He is mercy. Can you see the difference? And some people get very angry at me. You know why? Because they didn't want to see the difference. But you must know who God is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. As the creator, he has the right to demand some things from you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together tonight. We ask that you would put this instruction in our hearts and minds and help us to look for opportunities to share with others who you are. And Lord, that we would be careful and under the influence of the Holy Spirit that we'd be as gentle and as mild as we can. And yet, Lord, we would not compromise the truth of your word, not one syllable. We ask for these things that we may be faithful witnesses for you. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish...